Good evening from Plunkett Studios in Largo, Florida. I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we are here with uh, episode 541 of F5 Live, refreshing technology for Sunday, uh, October 27th, 2019. This show is a proud part of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. This week, wireless carriers are working together. Fallout players are working in private, and Google is working to improve search results. Wherever you are and however you're accessing our show, whether it be on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, on uh, any of our live stream platforms, livestream.com, Mixer, Twitch, Periscope, YouTube Live, Facebook Live, um, on any of the podcatchers, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the Podcast Play app in the Windows Store, the myriad of others like Spotify, TuneIn, or, of course, on our website, plugkitslive.com. Thank you for making us a part of your day. There's two ways that you can do that. The, ooh. the first is, Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, you can go to uh, f5live.tv slash join us, and from there, you can chat with us in the studio as we talk about our topics. Uh, you can give your feedback. Avery and I always like to hear that. If you're not able to join us live, that is okay. You can also subscribe by going to plughitslive.com slash subscribe, and there you will see all the different ways uh, that you can find us on social media and the podcatchers and a whole lot more. Um, I think that's the spiel. Avram, how are you doing tonight? Oh, pretty good. Pretty decent. <sighs> pretty decent's the, a good uh, place to be. You know. Yeah, pretty decent. Just a lot. A lot going on, a lot to do, uh, but uh, but uh, but always always good, um, always good to be here. And so, uh, how about you? Well, um, our team had our first CES 2020 meeting uh, yesterday, so we have about 14 people on board so far, and uh, hopefully a couple more uh, for the live show. I am very excited about that because I have missed the big show. We've got some of some of the people who we haven't seen in a little while coming back uh, too. Hopefully, so it'll be it'll be nice. I think we've got six or seven on-air people, which is back to the old days. <laughs> wow, fantastic! Very excited fantastic. about that. Uh, what does what does your CES look like these days? Similar to to when you were at, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> um, no, um, you, I mean, actually, I mean, you know, look, we've got for Tom's Hardware, we've got six people going. Okay. So not. Um, I think it's you know, obviously pretty obviously pretty busy. We've got a lot of smaller hardware vendors that we meet with. People who make cases and power supplies and stuff like that sure. and of course we also attend the big events from big uh computer companies like asus and dell um so uh you know obviously what make what will make the event big really big for us is if there's any um cpu or graphics card news last year amd had the keynote and made really big news mm -hmm. with the announcement uh around its new ryzen chips that have since come out um I don't know if we can expect anything so major from them uh, this year, but 
you know, obviously any little tidbits of news like that that come out are big. Sure. Um, and of course, it's just the most important thing about CES is just our opportunity to um, meet with to meet with vendors, see people that we don't see the rest of the year, mm -hmm. and you know, and see and meet them face to face. And of course, the really important thing is going to uh, Gordon Ramsay Burger. <laughs> Indeed, that's <laughs> the most important. That's the most important part of the show. So. Um, so sweet potato fries won't eat themselves. So, um, oh, and the hummus. Um, yes, I mean that's really good. You know, my recommendation to the audience: if you're in, go to Las Vegas for any reason. Um, where is it? MGM. I uh, think. Planet Hollywood. Um, or oh, Planet Hollywood, right? Where 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 I often uh, where our team often has to stay. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, Gordon Ramsay Burger is unbelievable uh even if you're not a big burger person they just have all just weird kinds of interesting kinds of burgers yeah, like do. a curry burger and uh you know was it, i like the what was it middle eastern burger or whatever mm -hmm. that had like all kinds of like mint flavoring on it and so, yeah so good yeah all anyway. kind all kinds of interesting stuff it's definitely worth <laughs> for those of you traveling to vegas definitely worth checking out uh it is. Yeah. It has become one of the highlights of the show for our teams. <laughs> yes. Yes. Gordon Ramsay Parker. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we have a lot to talk about tonight, so let's get down to it. This week's Nifty Gifties and F5 Live is proudly powered by the Microsoft Store. Whether you're looking for the new Surface Laptop 3, the Surface Pro 7, um, or uh, things that aren't Surface related, maybe an Xbox One S or X, maybe you're looking for games for your new Xbox, um, or even a phone with the, uh, the Samsung Galaxy S10 and Note 10 available, plus, of course, the ability to pre-order uh, some of the newer devices uh, coming out in the, uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, all of that is available by going to f5live.tv slash Microsoft. So, uh... Over the last couple of years, there has been a lot of talk about uh, bringing SMS kind of up to the modern time. Uh, SMS, the system, has been around fairly unchanged uh, since it was implemented uh, at some time. R really, it was implemented nationwide on all the carriers fully once Sprint bought into it entirely in about 2005 because originally you had to do it through their web browser which was weird um but since then there's really been uh nothing on the other hand apple on their iphones has a a messaging app called imessage which works just like your sms except when you're interacting with other iphone users uh, when that happens you get all kinds of cool stuff most importantly you get delivery and read receipts um, and those features have been asked for by people not with iPhones uh, for, well, ever. And so uh, a technology was developed called RCS, 
uh, standing for Rich Communications Service, which was intended to be the replacement for S SMS. Um, but since the standard was announced, uh, no real movement has happened. In 2016, uh, Google promised that uh, 27 carriers across the world, including Sprint, were working to bring it to market, and uh, nothing really has happened. And part of that is because even if Sprint had it, it would only be Sprint to Sprint, uh, because everybody, for a standard to work, everybody has to be on it, right? So um, <laughs> it means nothing. Ask Firewire. It means nothing if basically only Apple adopts it. Uh, and so that's that's where RCS has been, however. Uh, this week, an announcement came out of the big four, AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, and Verizon. They are working together in a uh, partnership called Cross-Carrier Messaging Initiative that will bring RCS to all four of the major carriers in 2020. And that that's a big move. Right. Because like I said, everybody has to be on board or it doesn't really matter. And here we have the big four. Once the big four are involved, you know, cell one will follow. And I think at this point, that's the only other one outside of the big four. Right. So um, they'll follow suit uh, probably in pretty short term or maybe they'll join the initiative and uh, everybody will have it next year. And then uh, we'll get some of those great features that uh, that iPhone what, has had on uh, on Android. What features are you looking forward to? Um, the the from RCS. So for me, um, the two that have been the that I have found the most useful on the iPhone that work so intermittently weird, strange on Android because it all depends on carrier and device and whether it's been upgraded and all kinds of stuff is uh, uh, delivery receipts. Um, because sometimes I text, uh, it, I imagine you've got some experience in this too, right? Uh, like at CES, I'll text numbers that I've never interacted with before. Did I get them right? Don't know. Did they get to their destination? Don't know. Uh, and it's, it's always nice to be able to see that a device did receive that text message. I also like read receipts, um, though I am not a, oh no, you left me on read kind of a person, but it is nice to see if somebody has, has read it. But how can you ghost people? <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, you know, we, we see it on basically all the messaging platforms now, right? You know, me messenger has it, Skype has it. Uh, I think both Slack and teams have it, you know, it's kind of everywhere. It's ubiquitous. And so for the, kind of the most ubiquitous messaging platform to not have it is strange. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of just wondering, like those sound like somewhat interesting features. I wonder if the reason why text messaging hasn't gotten to be more, um, more of a rich experience is because there's less anonymity with it than there is with other messaging platforms because, you know, to text someone, you have to know their phone number, so that's knowing something, mm -hmm. right? Um, so it's a little bit less, I don't know, privacy invasive to, to be chatting with people on some of these other platforms 
where they can't actually like then turn around and, and call you. Um, so, you know, I, I wonder if I, I don't see how RCS really addresses that. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, I mean, if I want to send, I mean, I guess the receipt sounds interesting, but I don't feel like my text messaging experience is missing a lot of things. Maybe that, but I mean, you know, if I want to send photos, I can send photos. If I want to send videos, I can send videos. Uh, it's not, a, it doesn't really, it doesn't do video calls, True. but that's not a call. That's not a message in the messenger sense. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, it would For... be nice to have, I mean, it would be nice to have something that was standard that people would use because I have like four different ways that people message me now, but mm -hmm. I don't really know if this, this, I don't see how this is going to create that scenario. Well, um, so, so some of the features that like iMessage has that are currently missing from messaging that RCS does address, um, first of all is proper group chats. Um, so that you're in a, in a group text, you know that you're in a group text. It's very, it tells you who's in the group, uh, things like that, um, which I'm a big fan of because I hate group messages and it's nice to be able to escape them. Um, for me, <laughs> for me, um, especially when we're like, for example, when we're at, uh, at CES is a great example. Um, we do a lot of live blog stuff. And one of the things we've discovered is that uh, the SMS side of things, like the texting side of the network seems to work better than the data side. Uh, and so we'll text pictures to somebody who's uh, in the studio to be able to publish to the live blog. Uh, but unless you're sending an iMessage, the pictures all get uh, compressed, massively compressed. And RCS supports uh, pictures up to 10 meg per photo. Uh, and it goes over the messaging side of the network instead of the data side of the network. So you can get around all of the oddities of, uh, of, uh, of network but then, congestion. Uh, but then there'll be more network congestion on the SMS side because people will be sending larger files, so it may defeat the purpose. That's true. It might very well. So it works really well as long as as long as not a lot of people are using it. <laughs> Certainly, so long as uh, you're not in a heavily congested thing like CES or E3 or, or you yeah. know, Mobile World yeah, Congress or something like that. But you're right. It's, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's it is definitely um, good to see some improvement in a standard that hasn't really improved in a long time. But I guess I guess what is what would be more interesting would be a way to kind of better combine the different the different ways people message you into one platform or one app or one feed so that if somebody sends me a message on Facebook, I get in the same app as somebody sends me a message on Slack, as somebody sends me a message on Skype, as somebody sends me an SMS. That's what uh, Palm's webOS called Synergy was that messaging platform. Yes. and. Yes, and we've seen attempts at that over the years. I understand, we, you and I have discussed this before. Companies love to have their proprietary messaging platform mm -hmm. because it's lock-in. Um, right. But 
But we saw that would you be know, nice. Palm Palm's synergy incorporated like eight different messaging platforms into a single profile and a single messaging app. Uh, Windows Phone had at least three because they had text, Skype, and uh, Facebook Messenger in Windows Phone 7 and 8. It, Facebook went away in 8.1. But that was because of Facebook, not <laughs> nothing more. Um, right. But yeah. Yeah, it, well, that's the thing. You need cooperation. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, like you need for RCS. Indeed. Because... Because the thing that you're trying to you're trying to build is ubiquity, right? And uh, the only way to do that is to get a lot of people on board. Facebook waited to bring out Messenger until Facebook was pretty well like the standard for social media. They waited for yeah. uh, for MySpace to to kind of give up before they even messed around with it too heavily. And now yeah. you know Messenger is such a a big part of the world. And then they bought, um, what's the green one? WhatsApp. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, and they're working to bring communication together on both of those. So if somebody's going to do any kind of unification, it'll be Facebook, but it'll all be within Facebook's ecosystem. So, uh, this, uh. this at least works is a standard. It's external, to Google's ecosystem, though obviously Android will be the first place that it's implemented because getting Apple to support any kind of a standard is always a challenge. Uh, the phones are still using their weird proprietary plug instead of switching to C like even their tablets have, but whatever. Um, so will we ever see it come to iOS? Probably not. Uh, but if, if all five of the the carriers that are left in the U S that have any kind of market share can work together. Well, I guess boost is going to be its own thing, isn't it? It's going to be owned by dish. Uh, but anyway, uh, they'll, uh, they might be able to, to actually enforce on the network level. They might be able to, to force Apple on board and then we'd have a unified messaging platform again, which, SMS was the last time we had that, and it's not. There's not a whole lot to it. Personally, honest to God, if they'll increase the character count so that messages come in as one piece instead of four, if it's a really long message, that alone would get me on board with RCS. Yeah, <laughs> good point. So, because I get real tired of, you know, you know, iOS to Android. You can go to iOS to iOS and have a long message and it comes in as one text, but if you send it to Android, it comes in as like four. And what order they come in? Who knows? <laughs> so, oh, that's so good. So, uh, something like that. You know, little things like that. Just modernizations. We'll see what happens. They say that it'll be 2020. Um, but with the whole Sprint T-Mobile thing, who knows if that might delay things or possibly speed things up and who knows but uh but next year is their target date and i guess we will see i should turn the volume on for the music before i hit the button this week's pilch point with abram pilch is proudly powered by pure vpn you want to protect your uh, anonymity online and uh, hide your browsing experience 
from Facebook, Google, and even your own ISP. The best way to do that is with a VPN, like PureVPN. Um, plus, you have the ability to uh, report a different location so that if you're traveling abroad and you still want to be able to use your uh, Amazon Prime video or something like that, you can uh, still do that as well. And right now, we have got an even better plan than usual. Right now... Oh, yeah, okay. So, they are offering a five-year plan right now, which is a really unbelievable deal, for $1.65 a month, um, which is really a, fant a fantastic price. Um, that's an 85% savings. And you can get that deal right now by going to pilchpoint.live slash purevpn. That is the best deal we've seen on that yet, Avram. <laughs> wow, that is good. So, I believe you've got a little show and tell for us. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about this. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, every episode, so I just thought I would fool you. Um, no, uh, so I got a, uh, I'm starting to get at some robots for, because it's getting into holiday season and companies are sending out stuff because they would like us to some coverage. Uh, so we're doing some testing and some reviews to see, hey, uh, you know, what are the good STEM toys? I mean, we're always doing that, whether it's holiday season or not. Uh, but there seems to be a lot being released these days. Uh, so here's one that I have called the RD3000. Um, so this robot uh, takes me, is a fairly new robot, is a new robot, but it takes me back. How, do you ever remember programming in Logo? Hmm. No, before your time? Maybe. So, for the audience who are not, did not uh, do any programming in the early 80s, um, Logo was a programming language that they would teach kids as a first programming language back when, uh, well, we won't even say what grade I was in, but um, back, in the, back in the early 80s, it was, uh, you had a little icon called a turtle, it was a triangular shaped thing. I was on the screen and you would give it commands to draw things with a pen. It was a pen, basically. You would tell it to draw a shape, turn 90 degrees, go forward a certain amount, turn 35 degrees, whatever, and, and you would end up with a shape on the screen. And that was Logo. It was basically programming to something to draw. Um, now fast forward 30-something years, and you have... Artie, which does something very similar, but on real paper with a real marker. So uh, at the bottom of Artie, you have a, um, I don't know if you can see this, you have a marker, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the top piece here opens up, and inside you, it comes with four uh, markers, which are thankfully for parents washable, so if they get on the floor, you can wipe it off. Um, and it has this uh, power switch. You turn it on, and then you you program it. Uh, and the programs end up giving you results like this. Now, oh. notice that you got to bring your own paper. And I found I discovered that regular printer paper might not be so 
thick enough uh, all the time. And when I actually put the RD down, it created kind of a blot. And then it was doing this. But when we start put it on construction paper, it, it was a lot better. And here's another one that that my son made. Um, <laughs> RD party. Um, so it's cute. Uh, it is presently $63 on Amazon, so it's not ridiculously expensive. So it makes a nice gift for someone. Uh, as far as the interface and what the programming is like, though, um, I think it's both very simple and yet requires a certain amount of geometry knowledge to work for you to really customize. So it's a block-based coding language, and the way that it works, this is a really weird form of connectivity. So most uh, robots that I test um, operate over Bluetooth, and there's an app. Uh, Artie operates over Wi-Fi Direct, and there is, and there is a web app that you that is served off of Artie. So Artie is like. I guess a little tiny web server, hmm. uh, and it serves not not just anything, but it serves a page where you could drag and drop the blocks around uh, in a web browser. Now that works pretty well if you have a PC or a Mac or any type of desktop or laptop computer. The interface is not particularly great for for mobile devices. Um, I mean, you can use it. My son was even using it on a phone with a, you know, five, five and a half inch screen. But still, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to target because it's really not made as a mobile page. It's made as a, you know, sort of desktop web page with like two different columns in it. One with the code blocks you could drag and the other with the, uh, the canvas onto which you drag them. Um, and... The code is not any standard programming language. It is just very simple stuff. There's only like five blocks that you can use. There's like turn a certain number of degrees in one direction, put the pen up, put the pen down, uh, and go forward or backward a certain amount of millimeters or inches. Uh, and then, you know, you can use loops to repeat something a certain number of times. Uh, that, that, that is all. So it is, unless there's some feature of this I, I haven't found yet, but we've been work, playing with it all weekend, it's just that simple. Now, the right side, it makes it not very complicated, and they give you some cards that actually give you programs that you could type in yourself um, okay. for making designs like, like this one. So to be honest, I, I, I typed this in you know, off a card. I didn't invent this, you know, come up with this one myself. Um, but, um, you know, my son had, has had a lot of fun with it, whether he's learning really valuable concepts, uh, in programming. I'm not, I don't know how valuable they are compared to things he's learned from other devices and other STEM kits, uh, because there's a very kind of limited number of blocks. There are no sensors on this, so it's not like you can make it, uh, draw something in reaction to mm -hmm. light or sound or, you know, objects in recognition or anything like that. Um, but it's not very expensive at $63. Kids will enjoy it. It's designed for kids seven up, seven and up, and you absolutely do need to be able to read to use it. 
and it does benefit a great deal from having a uh, using it on a computer, although maybe a tablet with a larger screen, uh, like a nine inch, you know, nine point seven inch iPad or something, uh, might be okay. The other thing that you know that is a little weird is when you're using it, you cannot connect to the internet on the device you're using it on. Mm-hmm. Why? Because this is, you have to Wi-Fi direct to this. Mm-hmm. So you have to disconnect from your router to connect to this. Um, I don't think there's a pass-through um, to pass through to your router, although there may be one that I haven't, one way of doing that in the settings that I haven't discovered yet. But um, on the other hand, if you're a kid playing with it, I'm sure you could avoid, you could log off the internet to use it for a while. I mean, um, so that's, that's just a quick look at Artie. Uh, you know, he's really cute. Um, he draws really neat stuff, comes with four different markers with different colors. They're kind of standard markers. So I think if they get used up, you could probably just get any marker from the store. That's the right height and put it in here. I mean, this is a green one, but you can see it just, comes right out it'll just come right out and then you can replace it um uses two double a batteries so you know doesn't require much in terms of charging um so fun cute little robot um but not i wouldn't say it's like one of the best stem learning experiences that i've seen but for the price it certainly would be a fun gift for someone and, and kids would enjoy it for at least a few hours, if not if not longer. Okay, so what I what I see looking at that, especially with the uh, the first thing you held up, was uh, Spirograph. Yes, yes, it does it for you. Right. Um, right. Because Spirograph, you had to didn't you have to to draw it yourself in the. Uh, or am I wrong? It's been yeah. a while. Yeah, it had the little. Um, that was the one that had the little wheels, and you put the the pen in somewhere, and you you went around the oh, little yeah, right, yes. gear right. looking thing, and it would come yes. up with things that now, looked I like mean, your first one there. Yeah. Now you know what's actually interesting is if you don't think of this as a code learning tool, you think of it as a geometry learning tool. It actually could be really good. Mm. Uh, that being said, I haven't really, unless there's a section of the website or something I missed. There doesn't seem to really be a lot of instructions, tutorials on how to, you know, that that really teach kids about geometry now. So my son did not know is seven in second grade does not has not yet learned about angles and, you know, how you know what the, what a ninety degree angle is versus a three a one eighty degree angle and things like that. Now, inadvertently, this seems to be teaching him, so that's kind of cool, uh, but. He's he's only learning that from figuring it out because he hasn't actually learned that in school yet. Uh, I suppose uh, I suppose if a teacher wanted to get this and use this as part of a geometry lesson, it might actually be kind of interesting um, because then you could, you know, kids would have to you know learn about angles. Maybe you could even uh, use this to uh, demonstrate the Pythagorean theorem uh, because you have to if you want to draw a triangle, you'd have to know how many millimeters to make the base versus the, you know, to make the three sides or whatever. So um, I think you could, you could do some things with this that, you know, that really teach about geometry. However, that's not really how it's being marketed. It's being marketed as teaching you about programming, 
which it does let you program, but I've certainly seen things that give you a lot, a lot more uh, versatility uh, and a lot better tutorial action than this. I mean, obviously the best that I've seen is Lego Boost and that still costs around 150 bucks, which is almost a hundred bucks more than this. So, you know, different toys for different, for different things. Mm -hmm. This could certainly be uh, a neat gift, a neat gift for a kid in your life. Okay. But not too old of a kid. Uh, and not too young of a kid either, because it says seven plus and it, you have to read to use, to use the interface. It's not symbol based at all. And it helps a lot if you can use a computer with a mouse. So, uh, you know, it's probably a sweet spot of maybe second to fifth grade or first to fifth grade or something like that. Okay. But that makes sense. I can see that. Uh, obviously, obviously you have it. So, uh, my guess is we're going to see, we're going to see some content from it. Yep. Yep. Yes. And, and, you know, one thing I have to say is mercifully, since it is kind of a unitasker, it doesn't have a lot of different functions and features. It'll be an it'll be an easy review for me to to write up, um, so we should have one up this week. Very cool. Well, I look forward to seeing it. I really, obviously, it's cute, <laughs> and you can't yeah. uh, you can't argue that. And uh, I I like the idea of coming at it from a from a geometry standpoint, um, as opposed to a programming standpoint, but. Just just from like a robotic art kind of a thing, you know, it's it's it's, it's an interesting concept, and you know, it's sixty three bucks. It's not gonna, it's not gonna kill you. Right. Yeah, it's 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 not bad. I mean, I guess the thing that I'm really looking for in STEM toys is either you is something that is going to involve both inputs and outputs, mm -hmm. so something that has sensors. I always like. And, and even if they have to have a block-based coding language, either make it so dead simple that any any preliterate kid can use it, like Lego Boost is all symbol-based, so no, no writing, or provide a learning path for kids to graduate to adult programming. And, I mean, yes, there's, like, repeat loops in this, but I didn't really see any way to do, like, an if-then. Well, if what, right? Because it's not, there's no sensors, so what? What, what's the condition it would be it would be looking for right that's that's one one of the issues so um you know it's it's cute it's uh it's cute it's affordable uh makes i think it would make a nice gift for for kids but it's not i wouldn't say that this is the this is going to be the magic bullet to teach your kids programming if they if they don't already know it got it that's a. Uh... That's a good way of putting it, and uh, I think it. I think it sums it up well. Yeah. Well, Avram, always, always appreciate seeing what uh, what you're working on for Tom's Hardware, and look forward to seeing what we got next. This week's Extra Life on F5 Live is proudly powered by Razer. 
All the accessories you need to up your game on both PC and console are available from Razer, whether you're looking for um, the uh, Razer Raptor 27-inch awesome-looking monitor, you're looking for a great mouse like the new Razer Viper Ultimate, a whole new laptop like the Razer Blade Studio Edition, or a whole lot more keyboards and webcams and and uh, all kinds of stuff for streaming and all of that are available by going to f5live.tv slash Razer. So I would say if you were to ask a gamer right now today about a recent failed video game launch, most of them would point you to Fallout 76. Not because it didn't work at launch, like the new Call of Duty. Um, not because it was a particularly bad game, but because it was so outside of what people were expecting the game to be and outside of what uh, other games in the franchise have been. Uh, a lot of people who purchased it were disappointed especially about the fact that there was no way to play the game not out in the open. Now, it's important to note that this was marketed right from the beginning as an MMO played in the Fallout universe. So, anybody who was expecting anything other than playing out in the open might have been uh, deceiving themselves. But... In the past, all Fallout games have had the ability to play uh, within a closed environment, and this one did not. So, gamers complained from day one, and Bethesda listened. Uh, and so, they are bringing private worlds to Fallout 76. However, <laughs> uh, it will not be free. Uh, you have to sign up for a subscription service called Fallout First, which um, will cost $12.99 a month or $99 a year. Now, a couple things to note. One, the private worlds are literally private worlds. When you sp spin up a private game, it creates its own version of uh, Fallout 76 server out on AWS and... Uh, Obviously, that costs money, so uh, the subscription totally makes sense. It's not the only thing you get. You get um, some things like a, like a, an unlimited storage uh, box for crafting supplies. You get a unique outfit. You get uh, in-game currency and stuff like that every month. Um, but uh, Bethesda is really hoping that this will uh, appease those users who were really clamoring for an MMO that was not um, M or M. <laughs> it's the only way I can put it, right? It's not massive nor really, you know, massively multiplayer. It's just uh, online. <laughs> Well, you know, I I haven't played Fallout seventy six, so I so I ask you the question: Do you think? 
do you think it is such a violent game that kids under the kids under 18 shouldn't play it? Well, that's an interesting question. I don't know. Um, so what is it? Do we know what it's rated? I don't. Like, let's see. Because I guess my point is, and uh, I'll see what the ESRB rating um, is. Uh, M for mature. Yep. Okay. Well. So, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, I was going to say that if you had a kid, <laughs> you would definitely not want them to be out in the world uh, on a server with all the the weirdos in the, of, in the public, all the strangers. Uh, although we see uh, we see a lot of people uh, letting kids onto the pub onto public servers. Uh, wow! You know, we have a a friend whose kid is the same age as Isaac, seven years old, and they play Fortnite. Okay. And mm -hmm. uh, I I find that I find that kind of uh, a little disturbing. Just me, just myself. But um, Anyway, but if you're M for mature, I guess you can deal with the other weirdos, but not everybody wants to. Maybe they just want to enjoy enjoy the game. Mm -hmm. um, enjoy going through the game without all kinds of strangers doing strange things. And, and I can totally understand that. Um, I have probably talked about this before because it was the thing that disappointed me the most about Dead Island was the fact that uh, people from the outside world showed up in your game without uh, without my knowledge. I mean, I had it op you know opening night, and I was not prepared for that, despite having uh, watched everything that was produced and uh, written about it several times. I was not prepared. I assumed that you had to invite people into your game, but nope. I got out of my Jeep to go pick something up and turned around, and somebody had whoop driven off in my jeep um and that, that was the last straw for me on that game but that i was already pretty pissed off at it by that point um but uh so yeah i can totally appreciate the idea of you know a game might be designed for general interaction but you want to close it to just your friends because if I could have done that with Dead Island, I may have made it past losing my Jeep on the beach. Um, as it stands, yeah. it does not even sit in my game collection. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But unfortunately, uh, the intention and the execution are not necessarily in line with one another. Um, because in your Fallout 76 profile... If you are a Fallout First subscriber, um, the games that you participate in are listed on your profile, including your private world ones. And so uh, people from the outside world who are friends with you and can look at your profile can join into your games, including your private games, without you inviting them. And so for those people who have very large friends lists uh, so that they can trade, because that's, you know, in an MMO, being able to trade is a huge thing. And so in Fallout 76, having somebody on your friends list makes that uh, process way easier. Uh, all of a sudden, your private world is suddenly uh, not that anymore. 
So even subscribing for a private world does not guarantee you a private world, which is extra infuriating. On top of it, that uh, that unlimited storage crate that you get in the game uh, occasionally has a bug and will eat things that you put into it. So apparently the way that it's an unlimited storage is there's a black hole in it that occasionally eats items. Bethesda has uh, acknowledged that both of these things exist uh, and that a future patch will fix these problems. But uh, that is as much as we know. There's no hard timeline. Uh, future patch is about as generic as you can get. So no telling what that means. Well, yet another, yet another fail for Fallout seventy six, and it definitely, it definitely uh, feeds into the discontentment the gamers already feel with the game. They appease you, but not really. And then uh, here's something else you get. Oh, but not really. So it's definitely not great. And on top of it, my favorite. My favorite part of the whole thing is they forgot to register the domain. And so somebody else registered it, and it is a Fallout First hate site. <laughs> so uh, good job, Bethesda. You're, you're, uh, you're right up in there. You're in good, at least you're in good company because, uh, uh, Joe Biden's campaign forgot to register the domain for his uh, Hispanic outreach program, uh, and it's now owned by the Trump campaign. So, you know, it, at least you're in good in good company. Yeah. Oh well, um, like I said, a future update is supposed to fix it. We'll see uh, a if that happens, and b when that happens. This week's news from the tubes and F5 Live is proudly powered by Rift Tracks. Make fun of movies or let these guys do it for you. Uh, Mike Nelson, Bill Corbett, and Kevin Murphy, the former stars of Mystery Science Theater 3000, are back and doing what they do best creating commentaries for Hollywood blockbusters and B movie oddities like The Visitor, which I'm pretty sure the antagonist is a paper airplane. Um, the way it works is for a couple of dollars. You download the MP3, play it along with your DVD, Amazon Prime, uh, Netflix, Hulu, wherever the movie happens to exist, and laugh. Uh, they also do live events, and after the live events, oftentimes those videos are made available on the site. And they also do short films, which was a, uh, a staple of the older Mystery Science Theater 3000s. Uh, and so all of those... The short films, the live events, and all of the feature films are available by going to f5live.tv slash rifttracks with an X. Seriously, it looked like a paper airplane painted brown. I have no idea what the movie is supposed to be, but it was wonderful. Um, I love that they surprised well, who, me every who week. Who would win in a fight? That, the, that paper airplane... Paper Airplane, Doll Man, or the Demonic Toys? Ugh. Depends on whether you can keep the airplane in the air. Uh, 
Oh my goodness. So, um, if you know anything about Google, you know that their algorithm is always changing. In fact, in a 365 day year, they adjust their algorithm about 475 times. Yes, that is more than once a day. Um, however, most of those tweaks are minor. They are addressing um, trends. They're addressing odd terminology or bugs or all kinds of things. Uh, it is unusual for them to make a change to the algorithm that is so big that they feel they need to write a blog post explaining what the change to the algorithm is. Uh, the last major change that I can think of where they, they made a big push to let people know that it was going to happen was when um, page rank was decreased for pages that did not have a uh, mobile-friendly version of the page. And that was, what, three or four years ago. Um, this week, however, Google announced what might be an even bigger change uh, than uh, demoting non-mobile-friendly pages, and that is a system called BERT. Yes, B-E-R-T. It stands for something long and annoying, uh, so we will continue to call it BERT. Uh, essentially, what this is is a natural language processor that will um, be able to pick out more than just the little keywords that the Google search currently looks for, what they refer to as a bag of words. Uh, one of the examples that they used that I thought was, uh, was fascinating was um, about parking, yeah, parking on a hill with no curb. So most of the words in that search uh, phrase would be used for searching, but what they consider to be a um, superflu superfluous term, the word no, gets dropped. And so you get search results for how to park on a hill with a curb. Uh, another great example that they used was, can you get medicine for someone pharmacy? Now, it's important to note that that phrasing is strange, but it is a search uh, that they get, uh, which is why they used it. Uh, out of that entire thing, the only two keywords that get picked up are medicine and pharmacy. And so you would get uh, local pharmacies <laughs> instead of what you asked for under BERT. Uh, both of these will start returning the appropriate uh, search results. Uh, as far as parking, you will get no curb results. And as far as the pharmacy, you will actually get results about the legality of picking up medications for somebody else, which is what you're trying to ask for. Um, so obviously they're trying to enhance their search results. They say that this is going to affect one in 10 searches, Avram. Hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking about this and I don't know if it's really going to, I could be wrong, but I don't know if it's really going to be something that's going to change the game a lot for, uh, for content providers so much because sorry about that okay yeah, i'm fine okay well 
we need a robotic uh, hand there to give you the Heimlich maneuver, <laughs> um, just in case. You just know, in case. Hit, hit a button. Yeah, we'll build it with Raspberry Pi. There you so, go. So, uh, I mean, because what you're talking about are things that we would call long tail searches, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's. I don't think that there's like. I mean, maybe maybe the one about medicine at the pharmacy is is very common. But I think a lot of the times you're looking for something like that. It's a very, very narrow, specific search. Now, there's a lot of those narrow, specific searches. But for for co- web companies that are trying to optimize for search, they're usually optimizing, trying to optimize for things that are somewhat popular terms, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so I don't really see how... I don't know if this is going to make a huge difference in how people sort of try to search optimize their pages from a publisher perspective. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong and there's something I'm missing. I think it sounds like a really good thing because a lot of those words, as you point out, are not really superfluous. Right. I, I think, I think the industry term for them is stop words. Like Google sees just ignores them because they're not, they're not specific enough. Mm-hmm. Right. Not meaning, not meaningful enough, right? right? But the but the problem is that there is often meaning in the context of the stop words. So now they're going to look at the whole phrase rather than just trying to pick words out of it, which uh, which is which is a good thing, right? I I have certainly had things that I searched for where I was trying to look up how not to do something or how to do something or whatever and i got kind of shuffled to you know a forum post or something where i was like oh here's how you do this or something related not exactly what i wanted Mm -hmm. so um so yeah i mean if this takes gets you that very uber specific result that you're looking for um you know it's it's going to be uh it's going to be an improvement yeah, so, from a from a user standpoint, for sure, there's. I think everybody is in agreement on that. There's definitely discussion about um, ob- for people who create content to create content. Uh, for example, you know what Plug Hits Live and Tom's Hardware, Tom's Guide, you know, Laptop Mag. Uh, what what we as a group do uh, will probably not be affected, but for for sites that try to play the game that is Google, uh, they might they might see some issues, um, but they might also see improvements, right? It might it might actually mean that you know somebody who's creating a how to on um, the the legality of getting a visa for a traveler from Brazil coming to the U.S. This is another one of their examples. Um, who knows that Google is going to return, you know, is going to bump out certain words. For example, in the search phrase, 2019 Brazil traveler to USA need a visa. Um, they know that Google is going to dump out the word too. And so they have to create content that is both uh, relevant to the question, but maybe... <laughs> might get picked up uh, and indexed for the wrong question, uh, that work might go away. So 
all in it might actually make live is better because you don't have to know the game you don't have to play the game to be able to be found and you might not even have to buy what in this case would be travel keywords uh, because what Google thinks you're doing is traveling from the US to Brazil in that term which is insane uh, you don't have to buy travel keywords which are way more expensive than buying a keyword about a visa which I would imagine would be less expensive so I think it's a good thing yeah. for everybody uh, except for, those companies also, that make their uh, living this uh, playing the game <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a hard game to play though. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean we're all trying to listen. We're all trying to get our stuff to return high in Google. Like let's you know sure. let's not beat beat around the bush, right? We're all trying to do things to make sure that when somebody is searching for something that you provide, that you come up uh, higher on the on this result page sure. than uh, than competitors. There's no question about it. But you know in terms of uh, trying to, to fool people into clicking, that's a game that into clicking on stuff that's not what they search for, that's that's always a losing game because mm -hmm. Google knows when there's a high bounce rate on your page, if people have backed out of your page right away because they found the wrong, it wasn't, they'll assume it wasn't what they wanted and they'll kick you off anyway. Mm -hmm. What I think is interesting is if Bert, if this is being publicized, I wonder if it starts to change the way people do their conduct their search queries, because, you know, for some of these sorts of things, you have to keep refining and refining your query because you're not really getting what you mm -hmm. want sure. or you're ending up clicking more, more items on the page because you're not getting what you want. Right. Um, I would, I wish I could remember ex exactly what it w was, but there were several different like programming things I was looking for in the last week or two where I would just get a lot of stuff that wasn't ex wasn't really what I was looking for. Like I was, I think I was looking for like how to emulate a, a keyboard event in JavaScript to try and make it type into a field. Mm -hmm. And I was getting like all kinds of other stuff about, you know, filling in a field, but it wasn't emulating a key, but it wasn't actually emulating a keyboard event. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, like if, if this makes Google better at, at at better at interpreting those those terms, well, I would be more likely to use a more complex natural language search term. True. Rather than trying to, because like part of the reason why a lot of those things are are missing words is, yes, on the one hand, people don't like to type, so they won't type on a word they think is unnecessary. On the other hand, like, was it how to get how to get pharmacy someone else right? Uh, but on the other hand, if they think that their words are actually being interpreted by Google correctly, then maybe they will type it out as a, in a more natural language way. Because yeah. I think people are, have gotten the message that a lot of the words are ignored. So why, why should I bother entering all these extraneous words anyway? Indeed. Um, I know uh, my mother uses uh, search through voice a lot. And she always asks questions in you know broken english like it's not her first language because she's learned that <laughs> the search results come back weird if you try to speak to it like it's a person um and so maybe this will 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 help with that i will tell you from my personal experience looking for programming stuff google is not the way to go 
I abandoned it years ago for uh, trying to find programming help. <laughs> um, possibly because of the algorithm. Possibly because of the way that it it drops words that to a normal search term might be eh, unimportant. But when you're trying to do, you know, look for certain aspects of JavaScript might be important. And, you know, maybe we'll see yeah. results like that start getting better too. Yeah. So, no yeah, there's, there's no telling um, exactly what kind of uh, result this will have from a publisher standpoint. Uh, because there's a lot of a lot of back and forth talk on it, but from a uh, from a user standpoint, almost certainly this will be uh, a great and very positive change. This week's DRM, not included on in F5 Live, is proudly powered by Amazon Prime. You know you get your free shipping sometimes next day or same day, but uh, there's a whole lot more that comes with your subscription. The first, uh, of course, is Amazon Prime Music, which gives you several million tracks available to stream for free uh, as part of your subscription. And it gives you a discount to uh, sign up for the full Amazon Music account. Uh, Amazon Prime Video has all kinds of TV and movies and documentaries, both original and licensed content, uh, which is... Uh, great to watch and it's available on basically every platform and again part of your subscription for me it's all about twitch prime gives you the ability to uh, subscribe for free and uh, help out a content creator of your choice you can use it to subscribe to pluck it's live or any other content creator to uh, help fund their production uh, you also get free games every month just like xbox live playstation network or uh switch online you get free games every month and uh, with uh, twitch prime they are yours so uh, definitely go claim them and enjoy them if you are a current subscriber to amazon prime we have quick links to get you to all of these features and more if you're not currently a subscriber we have a 30-day free trial so you can find out if all these things are for you you can find all of that by going to f5live.tv slash prime um I see your question in the Mixer chat room. We will get to you uh, as soon as this topic is done, I promise. Um, so, um, Avram and I, we, we have been talking for a year about the crowded streaming space and how the herd will thin itself uh, eventually. We have seen... You know, Disney start combining uh, Hulu and Disney Plus subscriptions uh, or giving discounts for one to the other. Um, we have seen uh, some companies struggle like uh, AT&T TV Now or whatever DirecTV Now is now called. Um, we've seen them struggle and raise their prices to the point where they are officially more expensive than AT&T's own hardline cable subscription, which is insane. Uh, but eventually we are going to see some of these either get uh, kind of rolled up into another one or disappear altogether. And it looks like the uh, first one that will likely make a change will be PlayStation View, which was one of the first um, cable replacement streaming services. 
um, which now has competition from everybody, uh, Hulu and Google and uh, AT&T, and everybody's kind of in that space now. Uh, for Sony, it was a weird uh, experiment, right? Because they've been a content creator, they've been a commercial distributor, but they've never really been a consumer distributor until this product, and they made the same weird mistake that Microsoft made and tried to put their entertainment brand under the banner of their gaming empire. And interestingly, they did it after Microsoft uh, started renaming uh, Xbox Music to Groove. So that was a weird move. Um, as, it's, as it stands right now, Sony has brought Bank of America Merrill Lynch in to help them sell the brand. But my guess is, Avram, that this is going to be a challenge for them for a couple of reasons. The most important being the actual brand itself. I cannot imagine that Sony is going to let another company operate a, a product with the PlayStation brand on it. And I can't imagine that a buyer is going to want to buy something that they immediately have to rebrand. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know what what this is going to do for anybody. It sounds like it could be one of those another company that has a subscription service buys this just for the list uh -huh. or whatever for the subscriber list and then transitions every tries to transition everybody into their own service like Hulu with live uh, I mean, or, I feel like or YouTube TV buys it and rolls it into their existing subscription. Well, like happened to me and my wife with, um, we were on the Napster service for audio streaming mm -hmm. and that was bought by Rhapsody. And then they like, you just eventually like after a month or two ended up getting rolled into a Rhapsody mm -hmm. subscription. Sure. So I think they bought it just purely for the subscribers, for the, membership, for the member list, for the subscribers. So I think that's, that seems to me like what would happen here because the brand has very little value. Uh, I mean, also, I don't know if that's a, it was a good brand to begin with because as you say, it was rolled up as a gaming brand. So if you weren't on PlayStation, you, if you weren't a PlayStation user, you might think, Oh, well I need a PlayStation to, to use this service, which was uh, exactly which what happened with the audience, which is exactly what happened with Xbox music. People thought that it was, that it was an Xbox product as opposed to being a regular music streaming service that you could use on iPhone and Android and anywhere. And it's the same thing with PlayStation View. Most people thought it was a, a thing you had to use on your PlayStation, and it is far from that. Yeah, exactly. So, so they messed up. Uh, so the brand is bad. That's what, I mean... Besides the fact that it's in a very competitive space, mm -hmm. uh, I think people would only buy it for the subscription list, uh, which is depending on how many. Do we know how many subscribers they have? Um, the number I saw was something like five hundred thousand in the United States, which is higher than I was expecting. Eh, I guess it could be. I guess it could be worse. Uh, I don't know who the natural. Uh, you know, buyer for this would be, but, um, I guess, uh, would be like slang or somebody. I could see, 
I could see somebody who's already in the space, right? Uh, YouTube TV, uh, Hulu with Live, or Sling TV, uh, pulling it into their subscription. Or I could see somebody who is um, tangentially related. Amazon is a is a good example. They've got you know add-on TV stuff, but they don't quite have this. You know, if they could roll that into their Amazon channels program, they might. Uh, they might have something there. Uh, if somebody was going to roll it into a related product, I think the only one that would survive it would be Amazon, though. I don't think anybody else. Eh. Like if Netflix wanted I to add live TV, I think they'd have to start fresh. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I just I feel like Amazon, if they want to do that, they would just they would um, try to build it themselves rather than rather than acquiring this and 500,000 subscribers to Amazon is nothing. On the other hand, the, uh, the contracts with the networks are already in place, which is the thing that when Apple bought beats, they didn't buy the headphone company. They wanted beats music. Um, and it was a good buy for them in the end. But the thing that Apple was buying when they purchased beats was the streaming rights that had already been acquired by Beats for their music service. And that's where Apple Music comes yeah. from. Apple didn't have to negotiate any of that stuff. They just, they paid one thing and they, on t Tuesday and by Thursday, they had a music streaming service. <laughs> so that, that would be the only reason I mean, that they might go that way is to purchase the, the contract with the networks. But yeah, I, 500,000 subscribers would be laughable to Amazon, but the contracts with the, with the cable companies might be, or the, the channels might be the thing that they'd be interested in purchasing. I, I would think that Amazon could probably get better contracts on their own than whatever Sony had lined up. I mean, they have That's greater scale, That's greater leverage. That's true. So... So yeah, I don't know. I may, think it, it would maybe have to it would be have to smaller company. Yeah, maybe it would have to be somebody who already has this and roll it in Sling or YouTube or or Hulu with Live, something like that. Yeah. Might be the only people who could who could make it work. Uh, apparently, they are in yeah. in discussions with a potential buyer, um, but it's it sounds like it's pretty early stage, and Sony is looking for quote tens of millions. For the brand, which might be an overestimation of the value, so <laughs> we'll we'll definitely see what happens because tens of millions for five hundred thousand subscribers might not be, especially at the at the rate they're charging. It may not may not be doable. It'll be interesting yeah. to see uh, if it sells what it eventually sells for. Because I think so Sony's in the midst of trying to trying to shed things that either don't make money or don't prop up something that does which is why we're where we are so it'll be interesting to see what happens well that is our show before we close out uh, we have a question in the mixer chat room that asks is windows going to have more games well windows is the platform with the most games on the planet um, and new games are coming out literally daily so yes 
Um, the question, of course, is probably referring to AAA titles. Um, and yes, the Xbox uh, Windows uh, relationship is bringing more and more AAA titles to Windows. And in fact, your, um, uh, what's it called? The Xbox Pass, Xbox Game Pass uh, Ultimate uh, now covers uh, Windows 10 games. So you can literally play all kinds of games under that subscription. And uh, any... If I remember correctly, Avram, Microsoft said that any game from Microsoft Studios coming to Xbox was intended to also be coming to PC, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I, believe, I believe so. I mean, Windows is already the, the world's uh, most, uh, most uh, copious gaming platform. Yeah. There are a few things that come out for for console that don't come out for windows at least eventually so uh the big the big the big issue is always having the hardware to play things on windows versus the inex relatively inexpensive uh cost of getting a console but uh you know you can windows is the preferred gaming platform for a lot of people for very good reason yeah because it is very flexible lots of different platforms that feed into windows like steam mm -hmm. uh so yeah i mean i think the future for pc gaming continues to be a very bright one uh and i sure hope so because uh people who are building pcs or buying pcs or buying peripherals for for gaming uh we that's the vast majority of our audience at tom's hardware so uh yeah, game on game on Windows. Windows <laughs> is a great platform for gaming, and it has been for a long time. And it continues to get better and better uh, because there are new technologies that you can't get on console yet, like really good immersive VR, yeah. like ray tracing, things like that that you can't do uh, that you can't do yet on console because right. console has to kind of appeal to the lowest common denominator True. Uh, because they're trying to to sell in in mass. And they have to hit a price point, and uh, PC games give you a lot more control and, and the ability to play at really high resolutions with great sure. special effects and in VR in, in a lot of cases. So, uh, yes, game on Windows. And if you want to know what what PC they get for gaming on Windows, I've got a website for you to go to called Tom'sHardware.com. And if you want to upgrade the one you have, you could visit us. <laughs> uh, and if you want to build one from scratch, which is a great idea, uh, you could visit us. So, uh, yes, game on Windows. And, uh, yes, Microsoft and Sony are working together, uh, at least from the standpoint of uh, building cross-platform cross gaming, which we have officially seen a game launch with. So, huzzah. Very excited about that. And with that, um, I think that will do it. Uh, on behalf of the staff that's not here, I'm Scott. I'm Avram. And we will see you guys back next time. Ciao.